Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Anybody got big plans? Big plans? <laughs> well, we are Skeleton Crew today, so thank you for coming out. Um, we are excited to worship together. Um, I am excited uh, this morning to deliver this message um, as we um, continue in our study of Second Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Second Samuel uh, chapter 11, and that's where we will be starting. You ever had a time in your life where... Um, you made a mistake, and then you tried to fix the mistake, and you made it worse. So then you tried to fix what got worse, and then you made it even worse. I was talking to my wife, came about an idea, an example for this, and she actually had a really great one of like, you know when you're writing on a paper and the pen gives out, and, you have, and then you try to trace it over it again, and then, and then that, that letter is really dark and bold. So then you trace over the whole word, and now that whole word stands out in the whole copy of the day, and then you have to just throw the whole thing away and start over. Um, that's kind of what we're going to be looking at in today's story, is this, this continuing um, evolution of things getting worse as it goes on. So um, as me, uh, the elders and Kevin were coming up with kind of the series for the summer, uh, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do, and we're like, oh, Samuel, you know, kings and David, and you got David and Goliath, all these great kids' stories for when the kids are in the room. And then Kevin's like, hey, I'm going on a vacation July 4th. Who wants to teach about David and Bathsheba? <laughs> Wonderful. So here I am. I will do my best to be mindful of the atmosphere of the people, the audience in the room, um, but Scripture is what Scripture is, and so um, we will let it speak into us um, for what it says. So before we dive into the Word this morning, would you join me once again in prayer? Lord God, I thank you um, that you are good to us and that you are so gracious to us. So God, my ask this morning is that your words would be heard. God, we don't need to hear from me. We don't need to hear from our hearts. We need to hear from you. Um, so God, would your scripture speak to us? Would it convict us? God, we would be um, honoring and would we um, listen to what your word says? So God, we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we're going to be starting off this morning. And so as I said, be thinking about that. Sometimes you make a mistake, and sometimes when you fix a mistake, you make things even worse. We're going to see that very clearly in this morning's story. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, In the spring, when kings march out to war, David said to Joab with his officers and all Israel, they destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, and, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Elam, and wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her, now she had just been purifying herself from uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word from David, I am pregnant. Whew. So David's, David's real, realizing already, um, I've messed up, made a mistake, something is wrong. So David is then, instead of confessing and, and talking about this, he's like, well, let me figure out what I can do about this mistake I've made. So verse 6, David sent orders to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war was going. 
Then he asked to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace with a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all of his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. When it was reported to David that Uriah did not go home, David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? Uriah answered David, the ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live and by your life, I will not do this. Verse 12, stay here also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that next day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go home. So we see here this unraveling story of David, where he has a moment of weakness, a moment of sin that he falls into, and he just immediately starts to figure out how he can cover it up. And that's so true in our lives that we, we want to just cover it up. We want to act like it didn't happen. And so he has Uriah come back from the battle and he's like, maybe if you're just with your wife, then, then it can be your kid and nobody will know. Uh, and then Uriah, rightfully so, he's like, no, like, I have a purpose. I'm, I'm in this war. I, I'm not going to do this. My brothers are in the battle. And you just got to feel the weight of David. Like David's, he, you see in verse one, he remained in Jerusalem. Like there's, all, there's an aspect of like, he didn't go out to war. He stayed home. He was enjoying the pleasures of his palace. And he brings a soldier home, and the soldier is so loyal to say, no, I'm not even going to do that. So you can feel like it's screaming at David. You can see God's conviction screaming at David. And don't we have that in our lives when we sin, that conviction that comes, and we know it's coming um, at us. I mean, we need to listen to it. But David continues uh, in verse 14. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab. Some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. So now David has... Trying, trying to cover up his sin, now murdered a person. And so we have to be careful in our lives if, how much uh, grip sin has on us. So um, I want to kind of demonstrate maybe this in a way that is helpful and maybe a little more fun for the kids. All right. So here we have a bottle of clear water, right? What color is that? What color is that, kids? Oh, it's yellow? I thought it would be more clear. So That's how we all feel, though, isn't it? Like, as long as we haven't currently sinned, we're okay. Right? It's just a little bit of, just a little discolored. And so that's how it tends to feel in our lives. But in David's case, he, he sins, and so this enters his life. And so now it gets a little darker. nice sound. That's nice. That's nice. Don't fall asleep up here. So there we go. So David's like, uh-oh, I've, I've messed up, 
it, it's very clear I've messed up. So let me, let me try to fix it. Let, you know, our goal is to get this back to, you know, not be so, so colorful here. So let's, um, let's add some more. And isn't this what we try to do? Like, it, it seems funny to think, like, if I add some blue, will it, will it go clear? Nope. If I add a little more blue, it'll go clear. Like, this is what David's doing, is he's continuing to add on top of what he's already done. And so then... He's like, well, maybe I'll just wipe the seat clean. We get some soapy water. That'll make it all. And, and we tend to do this too in our life. We, we try to fix it. We try to fix it. It just gets worse and worse. And then we're like, okay, maybe I'll just wash it out. So we do a little bit of that. And uh, um, yeah, it's still blue. Yeah, see guys, I have no sin in my life. No sin. Right? No sin in my life. And, we, and that's what we do. We, we try to fix it. And we, and we go, okay, that didn't work. Let me do something else. And then, and then we try to clean it ourselves. And all it does is dilute it, but at the end of the day, it's still colored water. It's still destroyed by that. And so then we ultimately just cover it up and we try to hide behind it. And we try to hide our sin from each other. And that's what we see David showing us here in such an awful way. We see David just going so far with this. I don't know if you kept count of all the things that David did here. He, he has an awful sin. He commits adultery. But then he, he doesn't just confess that. He doesn't own up to that. And, and he's scared to own up to it because the Hebrew law would have been death for that sin. And so he, he is rightfully afraid of the consequences of his sin. But then look what happens. Instead of him accepting the consequence of his sin, which would be death, he then kills another. And in our lives, maybe we're not physically killing someone, but do not the consequences of our sin and does not the hiding and the covering up of our sin cause consequences that we may not even be fully aware of. A detail in the story here that I think is important to see is that when David gives this order to Joab, he is giving a, an order to the military that he knows will cause death. So not only is he, is he doing all these other things in here, but he is derailing the military effort. Here's how we win the war, David. Yeah, I know that would be the most strategic thing, but I really need you to take a platoon of men and attack this wall. And so what would actually be happening here is David was sending these men up to the bottom of the wall where archers were shooting down from the wall. It was an impossible thing. And you see it says there that some of David's other men died as well. So collateral damage. David being so wrong in the order and then causing the unnecessary death of others. And so this is what I want us to wrestle with today as we see this story to figure out how this applies in our lives and what may be the consequences and, and the things that we are running into um, in our lives. So we'll pick back up in verse 23. Should I drink the right water here? <laughs> If you see me pick up one of those, yell at me. All right, verse 23. Um, this all happens. Joab, leader of David's army, he's coming back to David. Uh, he sends a messenger. The messenger reported to David, the men gained the advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we counterattacked right up to the entrance of the city gate. However, the archers shot down on your servants from top of the wall and some of the king's servants died. Your servant Uriah the Hittite also died. 
And this is sad. David told the messenger, say this to Joab. Don't let this matter upset you because the sword devours all alike. Intensify your fight against the city and demolish it. Encourage him. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. And when the time of her mourning ended, David and David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a sin. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. And rightfully so. The Lord considered what David had done to be evil. And so church, this is sin of, of wrongful desires and passions. That's going to be my words for you. Wrongful desires and passions in our life. What is, happen- what is in your life, these, these desires, the things that your eyes will see that will lead us down a path that we do not want to go? We go back to the beginning of this story, and it's one verse. David is on top, uh, on the roof of his palace, and, and he's not in a place that he necessarily should not be. Some commentators had said that David's people actually had asked him to stay back, and it would have been normal for him to be on top of the roof. It would have been a cool breeze of the night that he would have been experiencing. So you could say that maybe David was where he wasn't supposed to be. You could say he was okay being where he was. But in either case, and this is where it applies to us, we have to be mindful of what is happening, what, what our eyes are gazing at, what we're seeing, what we're letting into us, what passions and desires we're allowing our hearts to just open up to. Because that's what happened to David. He, he wasn't, it wasn't like the sin was brought into, onto him. He saw, he desired, and then he chose to give into it. He gave into these wrongful passions and desires. Proverbs verse, or chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 warns us of this speaks of the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her words are smoother than oil, but she is as bitter as wormwood, as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps head straight for Sheol. This, this sin of giving into these things is so dangerous, and it's so consuming us in our culture that we may not even be fully aware that we are allowing some of these desires to be fulfilled. We may be saying, oh, it's really not that bad that I'm looking at this, or it's not that bad that I'm giving into this, or that I'm doing this. And you can take this beyond just the, um, the, the sin of lust that David had here. You can take this into other areas of your life that you have wrongful desires and passions that can consume you. And know that these things lead us away from God. What damage are we doing to ourselves? What damage are we doing to our families? How are we hurting our walk with God? Because we read this story here of David, and it seems so crazy. Like, David, a man after God's own heart, and he does this? Like, that, that doesn't even make sense. Like, how crazy is that? But I think that's the warning of Scripture here to us, is don't think that you've got everything under control. Don't think that, oh, I've got my sins under control. They're not that bad. I've got them contained. And when they're not, I hide them so nobody knows. And it's just my secret sin. It's not hurting my family. It's not hurting others. I don't think it's hurting my relationship with God. But it is. I think that's what this passage here is trying to show us is look at the damaging effects of this. So the first thing we need to do is to recognize our sin. So chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David 
And Nathan is the prophet of God of Israel at this time. And when he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city. So Nathan is telling David a story now. There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small lamb that he had bought. He raised her and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take on one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. Verse 5. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shows no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. And Nathan replied to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I rescued you from Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if it was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own. You murdered him with the Amorite's sword. Now therefore the sword will never leave your house because you despise me, and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife." This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes. He will be with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel in broad daylight. And so the Lord is angry with David. But I think the first thing we need to recognize there is that David recognized his sin. There's a famous passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, then you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? And this passage, I think, is so true here with David. Of, do, do, you, do you not see, David, what you've done? Like, you hear this story, and like, that man deserves to die for, for taking the sheep. And, and Nathan's like, this is you. This is you, David. Do you not see your sin? Do you not see how ugly this is in your life? And I think that's the first thing we need to realize is that our sin is ugly before God. It is the discolored water that we, that we want to hide because we know we're supposed to be pure. We're supposed to be white as snow, but we're colored and we're destroyed, and so we, we cover ourselves up. Our sin is, is disgusting. Uh, Scott, who, Scott Holman, who taught at our uh, youth camp uh, this summer, he took this analogy a little bit further, and I spared you all. Um, he used, uh, was it coyote urine? Yeah, fox urine, uh, which if you haven't encountered fox urine before, it smells like skunk, and it it's immediately smells like that. It, just opening the bottle, it, it would engulf the whole room. And he used that as such a great way to convey to us, like, that's what our sin is like. Like, we may think, oh, it's just a little drop, but it's enough for it to go everywhere. And so that is what our sin is like before God, and it is what it will be like before others as it becomes exposed. So David realized here that his sin had consequences. 
And as Deuteronomy 22 and Leviticus 20 says, the consequences of what he did should have been death. Should have been death. And so we are often afraid of that in our life, of what's the consequences of my sin? And so instead of just facing the consequences, we tend to hide it and hide it and add layers and we keep it a secret. And the next thing we know, it's 10, 20 years later and we have secret sin in our lives that we have not told others about. That we've buried so deep that even we don't even try to recognize it anymore. That we try to make ourselves okay with it. We, we just cover it up. It's fine. It's just how I am. And we don't face it. And we let that poison continue to go rampant in our lives. So recognize our sin and confess it. So chapter 12, verse 13. And these last couple of verses here are so beautiful. You have a verse of sin. Is that not true? Like, sin is so quick. It's fleeting. It's enjoyable for a moment, and then it's fleeting. One verse, and then a chapter of consequences of David trying to cover it up, him facing consequences after consequences of what he's done. He gets rebuked by the Lord. And then verse 13, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And should that not have been the verse a chapter ago? Would it not have spared death? Would it not have spared many of the lives? Would it not have spared hurt? Yeah, did the sin still happen? Yes, but it could have been reconciled. So shouldn't we in our lives confess? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 through 10 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Don't take your sin lightly. Don't tell yourself, I don't sin, or it's not that bad. It is. Take your sin and realize what it is. But then I'll challenge you with this too, because I've struggled with this. I've struggled a lot with this. And for so many years of my life, it resulted in guilt. I feel the weight of my sin now, God. I should not do this. And now I'm guilty and unworthy of anything. And that tends to be where we then sit. If If we let our sin hit us, we tend to sit with guilt. But God forgives us. Because it says um, in that second part of verse 13, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. The rightful response to David's sin was death. But God's response to David is, I've taken away your sin. I've taken away your punishment. You will not die. And so we should confess our sin to God. We confess it. Because if we do not confess it, it's, it's looking at God and saying, oh, I'm a sinner, but I don't want your forgiveness. I see the work that you did on the cross, and I'm a Christian. I believe that you died on the cross for me, but I want to hold on to my guilt. We, we, we tend to want to live in that. Like, you know what, God, I'm wrong. Let me just live in my guilt for a while. And that's not the case here. As soon as David responds, I have sinned against the Lord, the Lord responds through Nathan, and the Lord has taken away your sin, you will not die. And so in this, we see a beautiful restoration of of David. 
in light of all that he's done. I mean, he's broken every commandment. The obvious ones, and he's envied, he's had pride, like all these things. And then he confesses to God, I am, I'm a sinner. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to confess our sin to him. To not hold it in, to not say, I've got it, God, let me just keep adding some more. I've got this. I only cover up the parts that you shouldn't see. He sees it all. Confess to him and accept his forgiveness. Do not hold on to guilt. So in our last few minutes here, I want to look at what David did in light of all this. I hope some of the weight hits, especially in the story of what David went through. I hope in your own life there's something you're thinking about, like, yeah, there's that sin. It's been a lifelong sin. Or maybe it's a new sin that's been flaring up. And it's consuming you to confess it to God. So Psalms 51, if you want to turn there with me. Um, I would actually encourage you to write this down and, and have this be a psalm that you use possibly in a time when you find yourself deep within sin. It's a sin you've gone back to before. It's a, it's a new sin you're dealing with. Whatever it is, use this psalm as a, as a prayer, as a meditation to God. Um, because this is the psalm that David wrote when the, Nathan, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to the Bathsheba. So think about the story. Think about all David did. He's got so much sin on him. He's confessed to God, and God has forgiven him. And then he has this psalm in Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God created me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. That verse 12 there. Is, is one to highlight. Then I will teach the, rebel, the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pre- pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So here's what I want to spend the rest of our time on. Is, is how do we actually combat sin? Like, like how do we, how would da- what would David have done to actually have changed that story? He was in, let's say he was in the same situation, saw the same thing, 
as we, every day, have things that our desires and passions want to grab a hold of, what, what would change that? What, what, what would change who we are? And that's that verse 12 to me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Because you see, as soon as he says that, he gets to this point where he's confessing and he gets to this point, creating me a clean heart, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then he goes on to say, and then I will teach the rebellious your ways. He almost, he almost moves past then this uh, point of repentance and he goes into then I'll share the gospel with others. Like I'll share this good news that I know to others. And so for me, this has struck me, and this has actually been a verse on my heart for most of my life. This restored to me the joy of my salvation. And I think there's so much depth to unwrap there, but I just want to talk through that for just a little bit. Because it's not our good works, it's not offering up a sacrifice, but it's, it's repentance. It's relying on what? Our salvation. If we are a Christian and we believe that Christ died on a cross for us, that he took our sins and we confess to him and he is um, able and willing to forgive. And so the water is clear or white as snow. Christ is the only one that can change that. We can't change it by adding or changing things. It is Christ who changes us. It is the joy of our salvation that, that we can confess and not have guilt and we can be freed from that. It is the joy of our salvation to know the creator of the universe. It is the joy we have deep within that the world cannot have. That is what will keep us from the pleasures and the desires of the world, is this joy of salvation. Psalm 1611 says, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. With Christ, we find true joy. We find true pleasure. And it's only with him that we find that. And so in light of that, and when we have our mindset on that, David could have looked at what he had seen. He could have looked at Bathsheba and go, No, I have something so much better. That is what conquers our sin. It is not self-help. It's not doing these three things. I mean, there's things that we could do that are healthy to keep us from those things, but sometimes sin just comes in front of us and we have to make a call about it. Will we engage with it or will we pull away from it? And the only way we're going to pull away from it is if there's something of a greater joy in our heart, and that is Christ. We need to replace the wrongful desires not with just other desires. We tend to do that, like, oh, I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to replace it with doing this, and then this becomes the new sin. You end up creating a new sin because you're just shifting your desires to something else in your life when we should be shifting it to Christ. And so we need to make those changes um, in our life. We need to not let um, sin have such a conquering over us and so here's our bottom line. If you want to pull that up for me. I didn't write it down. <laughs> when we sin, we want to fix it, but God calls us to confess it. When we sin, we want to fix it. We want to just keep trying more things. But God simply calls us, confess it. Confess it to him. 
so many of us could benefit by just confessing our sins to God. Yeah, there may be reconciliation that needs to happen with some others. Some of our sins have maybe affected others and we need to reconcile and confess to others around us, but we need to start with confessing to God. One of the healthiest things you can do if there's sin you're struggling with is as soon as that sin happens, Lord, I confess to you I'm broken and I need your forgiveness yet again for the third time today. Because look at David's story. The issue was he didn't confess it until a chapter later. If we would confess it and accept his forgiveness, we wouldn't be walking around with the guilt that would hurt others, that would harden us. Confess it. And let God be the one that changes us. What's going to cause us to move away from our sin is not just self-help. It's not just a bunch of things like, oh, I'm going to do better tomorrow. Next time, I won't do it again. What's going to cause us to move away from our sin is the deep change of our hearts towards Christ. He is the joy of our salvation. It is his salvation. There's nothing more satisfying than Christ. And this is something we need to feel. We need to have the weight of this. We need to be able to live in this. That There's nothing more satisfying than Christ. Nothing more fulfilling nothing that will complete you more. There's no one more loving or gracious towards us. There's no one with more power or control. There's no one like him who is our God, our King, our Father, and our friend. He's called us friends, co-heirs with him in the new heavens and the new earth. He has all authority on heaven and earth, and there is nothing that can stop his hand. There's no weather, no person, no government, no sickness, or anything else. His will will always prevail. And he calls us friends. And he asks us to confess to him our sin. And so, can we do that? To know he knows all things. He is everywhere. He has all knowledge. He knows things that we can't even attempt to know. And he asks us lovingly, confess it to me. Look up and confess it to me. So may we do that in our lives. This is our God. This is our King. Confess it to him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you are good to us and that you are gracious. Lord, this passage shows us how gracious you are. We look at David's life and, man, he messed up. And then he messes up more by trying to fix it. Lord, may we not be like that. May we be a people who come to you first, broken, humble. So God, may we not let our sin destroy us. Lord, do not let our sin destroy us. We seek you. Lord, it is simple. We just confess to you. Lord, I am broken. I'm a sinner. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you bled and died for me that your wrath, your punishment, the deserving of death, you put on yourself. So God, I am free. I confess my sin to you. I bear the guilt no more. I am free. And in that freedom, I will live. I will live for you and you alone. God, you are my rock and my foundation. Above all else, may you be glorified. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you are good and gracious. So thank you, Lord. Help us. Help us to confess 
to you and to others. Get rid of our guilt. Wash us white as snow. It's your name that we pray. Amen.